Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting Taking with us on Facebook so at Journey Fellowship Denton. Bring the word. Let's Thanks welcome our youth pastor and enjoy this morning. Amen. Message. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. I think I'm good. All right. So everybody had a good Thanksgiving, huh? Yeah, me too. I had a pretty good Thanksgiving. You know, this was the one Thanksgiving that I think I was just sitting there. I was looking around a little bit, watching everything. And at 35, 35, guys, I'm 35, I realized I'm going to have to do this one day. I'm going to have to be the one that prepares the feast and does the things. Like, I thought I was really special this year. So my mom and my Aunt Sarah, they do Thanksgiving every year. And they let me bring green beans and a dessert this year. I mean, that's pretty big. I don't know. Anybody else, have you graduated to actually getting to bring a dish to Thanksgiving? I thought I was really special. I showed up. There was like four dishes of green beans. I don't think they actually really trusted me that much. I think those were the plan B, the just in case I didn't get the green beans right. It's not that hard. I was able to do it. But I was sitting there. I was looking around, and, and I was thinking about Thanksgiving as a kid. I don't remember how many of you guys do this, but uh, my mom is German. She's also Catholic. So when we would all get together, it, it was a big bunch. We could feed a small town, basically. And while they were in there preparing to make sure our hunger is fed, we were outside, the kids, playing hunger games. Does anybody know what that is? If you don't know the book reference, I'll let you know. So I was the only girl cousin born during the time of boys, and we had one rinky playground, one. Do you guys remember the type that when you would swing, the posts would come up out of the ground because your parents were too lazy to actually concrete the posts in? We had one of those. They told us it built character. I'm pretty sure it just sent us to the hospital a lot of times, but that's on them. They had to pay the bill. But we had one of those metal bars, just one. You girls know which one I'm talking about. You could get on there and hang by your legs. And I was an aspiring gymnast, so I had to make sure that I got the metal bar. So it would be a face-off. We'd just be staring at each other. You can hear, like, knuckles cracking, like, who's going to get it? So you had to establish dominance really early if you wanted that metal bar. So I'd just go up to my boy cousins. I mean, I didn't even have to think. It was a headlock. It was an elbow to the gut, like, I'm getting that metal bar. And it was so much fun. We would, we would run inside. when You remember you'd be outside and your parents would call, Hey, it's, it's time to come in. It's time to eat. And I'd run up to the door, and my mom would do this. <sighs> because I'd be covered in dirt. I'd have holes in my knees of my pants. Like, why did they make me dress cutesy? Like, we've been with our family multiple holidays. They know the people that they're getting. They know what they're dealing with. But she'd be mad that I somehow was outside playing. I'm seven years old, Mom. I'm not going to be in there cooking a turkey. I'll just uh, I'll give you the look. And as a child, I just had no idea what went into preparing this feast. I just wanted to play. And as I got older, as the years went by, you start to notice those things a little bit more. As a teenager, you see them in there preparing all the food. And then you also see them putting everything away and cleaning. But you're a teenager, and there's no way you're going to get up and do dishes. So you just sit on the couch and watch them. You feel really bad for them, but you're not going to go help them because... You guys down there, how many of you guys did dishes this Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. See my point? But finally, finally at 35, 
I just sat there this Thanksgiving, and I just looked at how much time they took to prepare the meal. My aunt, my uncle, they will wake up 6 a.m., start cooking that turkey, start getting all of those things ready. They lay it out just right. They are the last ones to serve themselves, the last ones to eat. They make sure all of us sit down. I'm still at the kiddie table. But they make sure that we all sit down. They make sure we have something to drink. They make sure we have everything that we need. And then they go and they serve themselves. And all I could think while I was watching them was, this is important. This is an important tradition. It's, it's something that needs to stay alive. And, and I've got to make sure that I'm going to be the one to do it. So I've got to watch. I've got to learn. I've got to see everything that they're doing because I want to keep that tradition alive. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, what kind of legacy am I leaving? Because that's really what it is. A tradition is a legacy, right? I know you guys are going to get real tired of me talking about legacy or talking about what we do for the next generation. And I even wrestled with this. I thought, Lord, should I, should I speak about this? I feel like I'm always talking to them about investing in the next generation. But man, this is just who God has called me to be. This is what he has called me to do. So we're going to do it again. I'm going to talk to you again about investing in the next generation. And as I was thinking about this, one of my favorite passages of the scripture came up, Psalms 100. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. All generations. Another way to think of it is from generation to generation. But how? Because we tell them because we show them, because we make sure that his faithfulness continues. I'm not sure how many of you guys know this, but um, our youth group name is Legacy Youth. For those of you that are new, or some of you may have been coming for a while and you don't even know that that's what, it mean, that's what our name is. But what it means is that a legacy is something that you have to learn in order to leave. You can't leave a legacy unless you learn one. So what does legacy mean? A legacy is something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or they die. It's a gift left to someone of their choosing. It can be your birthright, your heritage, inheritance, or part of your tradition. But either way, someone has to leave it to you. You don't get it on your own, but you receive it from someone else. A better way to say it is inheritance is what you leave with people. A legacy is what you leave in them. What are you leaving in someone? Let's pray. God, I just come to you this morning, Lord. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my mind to you. I surrender my words to you, God. I pray, Lord, that you prepare our hearts today for the message that you would have us receive. God, I pray that you put a burden on our heart for the generation that comes after us, God, so that your faithfulness can continue from generation to generation. Lord, the world is not without hope. God, hope is alive in us. It's alive in you. 
So I pray today, God, burden us, Lord. Put a passion inside of us, Lord, to make sure that your name continues from generation to generation. Amen. So one of my favorite examples of how powerful leaving a legacy can be is found between Moses and Joshua. This story takes place over several passages of Scripture in a time frame of over 40 years. 40 years. So how did Moses leave a legacy in Joshua? If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be uh, in a lot of Scripture today, but we're going to start in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17 and verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up on one, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady. I want you to underline that word, steady. They remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. The first time that we meet Joshua, he steps onto the scene as the first commander-in-chief of the Israelite army. Moses didn't just stand in a circle. Let me imagine being Moses. And God's like, hey, you need to choose somebody to go fight. I don't think this was Moses. Moses chose Joshua. Joshua had distinguished himself in some way. He saw something in him. And what we learn about Joshua in these few passages of Scripture is that he was a natural leader. He was fierce and courageous. He was obedient and he had faith because these men are not trained soldiers. They were slaves. They have no idea what they're doing. So that tells me right there, Joshua must have had some great faith to take this ragtag bunch and just be like, hey, we're going to go fight against one of the most powerful armies that exist right now. He had courage. He had faith. And he led them into battle, even though it looked like they probably weren't going to win. But there were two different kinds of fighting that took place. The first was done in plain sight by Joshua and his men. It was physical work that required great courage. He was in the thick of it where it was noisy, utter chaos, hand-to-hand combat, metal crashing against metal, a struggle for life and death. Joshua won the battle with the edge of his sword, but Moses, Moses' battle was on the hillside where it was calm and quiet, and only three were allowed on his mission. His battle was spiritual work that required great faith. Different positions in the battle, but the same God fought for them both. To leave a legacy, you must know your positions. Joshua needed to be where he was in the middle of the battle with his men. He still had so many things to learn. This wasn't the first, the last battle that Joshua was going to fight. There's going to be many, many more. And every battle, he's going to learn something, especially this battle. Because as long as he could look up and see Moses holding that staff of God above his head. 
he put more and more faith in God. This is where he really learned, wow, God really is for me. God is fighting for me. I can be courageous because God is with me. Moses knew that he was greatest in the position that put him closest to God. So he elevated himself where Joshua and his men would be able to look up and see the staff of God in his hand holding steady. And he did it for hours. If they would have reversed the roles, the Israelites would have lost. Physically, Joshua was at his peak, but he couldn't have done what Moses did. The young buck would have been ill-prepared and would have failed. Imagine sending, I mean, Joshua was older than this, but imagine sending an adolescent boy up on a hill to hold the staff of God over his head for hours. They can't even go to the grocery store and remember the things that you asked them to get. Right? Have you ever done that? You send them in for 10 things. They get one thing and forget everything else. Joshua couldn't have done that. He didn't have the spiritual strength to hold the weight of the people over his head at the time. But Moses did. Moses didn't have the stamina to fight physically in battle for hours, but spiritually he could fight with the best of them. He has learned this. He earned that position. He's seen God's faithfulness from being a baby in a basket to God revealing himself in a burning bush from a man full of insecurities, giving God all these reasons why he couldn't do what God called him to do. But God, I'm slow of speech. And, but God, what if this happens? And what? But then he saw God mightily deliver the Israelites out of Pharaoh's hand. He earned that position. So he was able to be up on that hill because he was the one that had the strength to do it. As we were singing some of these songs this morning, I was thinking about this point, how Moses had elevated himself, and, and God just spoke to me this morning and said, you got it wrong. Yes, Moses elevated himself, but who he really elevated was me. That's why he had earned that position. Because he elevated God in his life. And he was able to keep God steady. That word kept sticking out to me whenever I saw it in the scriptures. Steady. And all I could think about is, how steady are you in your faithfulness of God? Because that is the greatest thing that you can leave in a legacy. That's the greatest thing you can do for the generation after you is to be steady in your faith. When there's a battle all around but you're not even fighting it. You're just remaining steady in the faithfulness of God. Joshua doesn't know that yet. For him, all he knows is, I've got to be here in this battle right now. I've got to fight. But not you. You've been there before. You've walked a mile in those shoes. You've seen God deliver you. So you're going to be steady. Both positions were needed, though. And it's okay to be a Joshua. It's okay to be a Joshua and be in the fight for your life. We look at this generation and sometimes we want to think there's no hope. It just seems hopeless. It's utter chaos. Don't you dare turn on the news. You will be in despair. But can I tell you, they are in a fight for their life. It is a struggle. It is a struggle. What, what's your position? If they're fighting for their life, what's your position? Are you Moses? 
Are you elevating God above all the problems, all the things? Joshua couldn't see much else, but Moses, he elevated himself to see God. God above the problems, God above the battle, because he knew God was going to win for them. But here's the thing. you got to stay in that position until you earn that spot. I look around today, and I think there's a lot of people that want to put themselves in an elevated position that they have not earned and they are not ready for. So maybe you're a Joshua today, and you're impatient. You're tired of waiting. You're ready to be Moses. You're not ready yet. It's as simple as that. You've got a lot to learn, a lot to learn. Some of you, you're in your time of Moses. You fought all the battles, and you know what it is to be steady. You've seen God deliver them. It's time to leave a legacy in this next generation. But leaving a legacy doesn't mean making someone like you. Doesn't mean making them like you. It means making, helping them be who God has called them to be. Joshua wasn't called to be like Moses. Moses was exactly who was needed to lead the people in the desert. And he wouldn't be the one to take them into the promised land. But he would prepare the one that did. He would prepare Joshua by being steady. Joshua's victory that day depended upon Moses' ability to stay steady in the faithfulness of God. There's a generation dependent completely on your steadiness. What will you do? Will you be the one holding up your hands, showing them that God is faithful? And will you tell them the story of God's faithfulness? Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Malik from under heaven. Moses had no way of knowing how important this moment would be for Joshua. After this battle, we see how closely Joshua stayed with Moses. We're going to go ahead and jump ahead into Exodus. Exodus 24, and starting in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I've written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh day, the Lord called Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. We probably all know the story of what happened while Moses was on the mountain. The people got anxious. They wanted something physical to worship. So they begged Aaron to just make them an idol because the presence of God just wasn't good enough for them. It wasn't good enough for them. But the presence of God is good enough for some people. It was good enough for Joshua because Joshua had been waiting too. He had been waiting for Moses for 40 days and 40 nights, but the difference was that he waited in the presence of God to leave a legacy you have to keep them in his presence. If we fast forward to Exodus 32, verse 17, 
says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's the sound of war in the camp. This part is important because it tells us that Joshua got to go further on the journey with Moses than anyone else. He got to be close. He was closer than the others to God's presence. Moses cultivated the presence of God. And because of that, Joshua got to wait in the presence. And that presence protected Joshua. He didn't join in on idol worship like the others. Are you cultivating the presence of God in other people's lives? One of my favorite uh, woman speakers, her name's Martha Tennyson, if any of you guys have ever heard of her. She's a powerful evangelist. Her and her husband went through horrible tragedy in their church. They had a bus full of teenagers, youth pastors, um, that was hit by a drunk driver and, and killed many, many people. They walked through some, some fire in their church. But she tells a story of a time that she was traveling with her mentor, Another incredible woman named Alice Jane Schaefer Blythe was still preaching at 100 years old, just an incredible woman of God. But they were seated on a plane next to each other, and the flight attendant came by to check on them. And uh, she stopped and looked at them, and she began to weep. And Martha said, what is wrong? Are you okay? And she just looked at them, and she said, you don't understand. This woman sitting next to you, Martha's mentor, her presence is convicting me. It is convicting me. You see, I was raised as a Christian, but the last couple years I haven't been living right. I've been running from God. I've been running from the calling that he's put on my life. And her coming in here today, sitting in this seat, the presence of God is all over her. And it just made me realize that I need to change my life. I need to turn back to God. What an incredible testimony. Does the presence of God in you change the people around you? Does it? If people are sinning around you, do the presence of God make them uncomfortable? It should. If someone's having a bad day around you, does the presence of God give them peace, give them hope? If they're struggling with depression or anxiety, does the peace of God in you give them joy? It should. Let's continue on. Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the, camp, to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses, speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. <coughs> it was the tent of meeting, a temporary place that Moses constructed outside of the t camp before the tabernacle was built. It was a place where people would come to Moses to hear from the Lord. 
because the presence of God would no longer be with the people. And the only two people that had the special privilege of staying with the tent were Moses and Joshua because they were the only two that did not have a hand in idol worship. You see, this would have been a job for Aaron. He should have been at the tent. But he lost that privilege whenever he made an idol for the people. It must have been a sight. Can you imagine? During our our worship time this morning, I don't know about you guys, but the presence of the Lord was just so thick. Oh, don't you love that when you just come in and you just feel it encompass your whole being? I imagine that's what it was like for them to see that dense pillar of cloud. It could be seen for miles. In fact, the people of Israel would stop, stand at the door of their tents, look at the cloud and worship. God was there. His glory hovered, and he was speaking. Then Moses would return to camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I underlined this verse. I drew arrows to it. I circled it. I kept coming back to it. That is so significant. And I read every commentary that I could find. What what did that mean that Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent? There's got to be something there. And every commentary I looked at, every scripture reference, everything just said that was his duty was to guard the tent. But I am telling you guys, it was more. It's more. If that's the only reason that he was there, it wouldn't have been put in scripture. I'm sorry, but that's just a little insignificant to just sit there. I know it was more. I believe Joshua wanted more. How do I know? Because I remember being a young girl that wanted more. When I would spend the night with my grandma, usually every weekend. Now, I was the kid that if they were up, I was up. Didn't matter if it was 4.30 a.m. If they left that bedroom, I was getting up with them. Like, I don't care if I went to bed at midnight. If you're up, I'm up. But the first thing that my grandma did every morning was get into the presence of God. She'd find a place to pray. Sometimes it was the bathroom, as weird as that is. Sometimes it was the formal living room. Sometimes she would just kneel on the edge of the bed and pray. But I remember as a young girl sitting on the side watching her. And she introduced me to the presence of God. She would call out names and prayers. She would speak in a heavenly language for an hour, if not more. And the whole time I'd just sit there and I would just watch her. I didn't really understand what it was, but I knew that the presence of God was on her. And it put a hunger in me. All those years, just waiting in that presence until I got the time to experience it for myself. All because she introduced me to the presence of God. And I know this is how Joshua felt. He was introduced to the presence of God on the mountain. He was introduced to the presence of God at the tent of meeting. There is no way he just sat there outside of that tent. Can you imagine sitting there going, well, the cloud's still there. Maybe if I just he can go inside. He wanted more. He wanted more. And he didn't leave the tent until he got more. Some of you younger ones, 
You've been waiting in the presence of God and you have yet to experience it for yourself. You're riding on someone else's presence of God, not your own. If Joshua wouldn't have had an experience, he wouldn't have gone on to do all the things that he did. You can't ride on somebody else's coattails forever. You've got to experience it for yourself. Quit waiting. Jump in. Jump into the presence of God. How many people have you introduced to the presence of God? When people are in your home, do they go, wow, your home's just so welcoming. That's the presence of God. Wow. Like when you come around situations that just had strife, just seemed to be peaceful. That's the presence of God. You're introducing them to the presence of God. My friends, the greatest thing that we can do for the generation after us is introduce them to the presence of God. They can be talented. They can be courageous. They can be so many things. But unless they experience the presence of God, they will go nowhere. They will do nothing for God. Absolutely nothing. And once you introduce them to the presence of God, you get to share with them the promise of God. To leave a legacy, you have to share the promise. We're going to jump ahead again. I told you guys, lots of scripture today. Numbers 13. And we're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Verse 6. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Down to verse 8. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, who is Joshua, son of Nun. Verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. We went to the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And if there are any more ites, they probably live there too. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Exodus 14:5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those that had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us onto that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. <clears throat> so just wondering. Do you guys remember in the beginning when Joshua skillfully swung his sword? What army was it that he defeated? Amalekites. 
And what was it that God said to Moses? He said to what? Write this on a scroll and make sure Joshua remembers this. Joshua remembered. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, yes, the Amalekites lived there. But I recall God saying that he would blot out the name of the Amalekites. So we have nothing to worry about. Thank God Moses took the time to tell Joshua. Because Joshua held on to that promise. But what if he didn't? What if he didn't? How many times has God told you to share something with somebody? How many times has he asked you to be obedient and speak into somebody's life? Especially somebody's life when you see them struggling with something that you've been through. And God has delivered you from it. And you've said nothing. If God wants you to speak into someone's life, speak into their life. You never know when that day is going to come back and they held on to a promise for a reason. Joshua held on to that promise for a reason, for this reason right here. That he would not be discouraged. He wouldn't be discouraged. Along with Caleb, Joshua took a stand before all the people and begged them to trust the promise, the protection, and the provision of God. Their young eyes were able to see something that no one else could see. When we look at this generation, it's hard to understand or even see hope. But don't give up on our young people. They, more than anyone, have the eyes to see God's promise in their generation. The things that we don't understand, the things that they do that we're like, oh my goodness, I don't understand. They still see hope in their generation. They understand them more than we do. They're going to be the ones to lead them for such a time as this. For such a time as this. They were created. Just like for such a time as this, you were created. Take the time to tell them. Because Moses did. For Joshua, it meant that he, along with Caleb, were the only two of that generation who lived long enough to see the promised land. Because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The only two. That's it. And this is where the shift starts to take place. Deuteronomy 1. We're going to go another book over. Told you, their relationship, it was hardcore. We went through several books of scripture. Deuteronomy 1 and verse 37. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. I'm going to leave you with my last point today. To leave a legacy, you have to put them in your place. Can I tell you something? If I was Moses, I'd be really upset. How long have you been, how many times, you know, have you walked faithful with God on something? You pleaded with him. For years you have invested in praying for something. And then God tells you, 
I hear you. But you're not going to get to be the one to deliver it. You've spent a lot of time doing this, but it's not actually going to be you that's going to do it. But it's going to be somebody else. It's not the answer that you want, but it's the answer that God gave Moses. Moses knew before they wandered around the desert for 40 years that he would not enter the promised land. While they were wondering, God was preparing. He was preparing Joshua. So Moses used those 40 years to show Joshua how to lead. 40 years is half a lifetime. Think of everything that you can do in 40 years. If you are 40 years or older, think of everything you've done in that amount of time. That is a lot of time to invest in someone. That is a lot of time to make a difference. It's a lot of time to make mistakes and make amends, to get off track, to get back on. That is a lot of time to stay steady in someone's life, to show them the faithfulness of God. At the end of those 40 years, Moses commissioned Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. At the time I pleaded with the Lord, down to verse 25, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. Verse 27, go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you're not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Once again, for 40 years. 40 years. If I were Moses, there would have been a lot more to that conversation. God, for 40 years, I have heard these people grumble and complain about every single thing that I have done. You want me to go up to the top of a hill and just look at the promise? I'm not going to get to step into the promise. You just want me to look. Moses is a better person than I am. We would have wrestled on that. This is a moment where Moses could have thrown in the towel. He could have said, I'm done. He could have despaired. I mean, he's going to go not be there in the end. Why spend himself as if he were? But to speak like that is to forget that the work is not ours. It's God's. It is the mark of a true faithful man when he can admire and encourage his successor and keep up his interest and hope in the common cause, though active participation in its fair has become impossible for him. How many of you guys have thrown in the towel? You've given up hope. You've thrown in the towel on this generation, the prodigal son that hasn't come home. You've, you've thrown in the towel on them. You're like, they're not going to make it. I'm just going to give up. We don't get to give up on this generation. We get to encourage them. We get to lead them. We get to mentor them. We get to train them in the ways of the Lord. Moses didn't get to lead the people into the promised land but his legacy did through Joshua. Here's the thing about legacy. You might've noticed in the slide, 
What word is in there? Leg. The word leg is in the name. Moses' legs never took him to the promised land, but he gave Joshua the legs to do it. Exodus 31, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. I actually passed the scripture several times when I was reading to the point where Moses is handing over the reins to Joshua. And I read over it again yesterday. And I went, interesting. Where did they go back to? The tent of meeting where the presence of God was. Where Joshua, son of Nun, did not lead the tent. Where the presence of God was at. What a beautiful full circle picture we have of what that looks like, what a legacy looks like to bring them back. Bring them back to the place that is the most important, the place of God. This is where their positions are about to change. Where it passes from one generation to the next. All of it came together at this moment in the presence of God because that was the most important thing that Joshua needed to continue the legacy. He needed to be reminded of the presence of God and that his faithfulness continues through all generations. I was fortunate enough to get to have a moment like this not too long ago. About a month ago, I got the call that my grandma, who I was talking about earlier, wasn't doing well. They, wasn't, they weren't sure she was going to make it. So they said, we think you need to come home. You need to come spend some time with grandma. She's in an assisted living now. I remember I walked into her room. And for you guys that have experienced this, you you know what it feels like. It's heavy. You walk in and that person that was just so big for God in your life looks so small. They're frail. She's laying on the bed. She doesn't really know much anymore. She has a hard time remembering things. And she was telling me about how she has nightmares. And I got to sit on her bed with her and I got to pray over her. I got to pray the presence of God over her because she prayed the presence of God over me. This woman that was a Sunday school teacher that led so many people to Christ, that was steady my entire life in the faithfulness of God. No matter what she went through, no matter what I went through, She was the first to remind me of God's presence, the first to pray over me, the first to encourage me, the first to mentor me. And I got to have that moment with her, holding her hand, praying with her. And I just remembered how significant that moment was for me, thinking this is her handing the baton over. This is her saying, it's your turn now. What legacy are you going to leave in your kids? What legacy will you leave for your grandkids one day? What will you do? Exodus 34, verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. 
It wasn't a one-time event that gave Joshua that wisdom. It wasn't just because Moses laid his hands on him. No, that was just a blessing. Joshua had the spirit of wisdom because Moses spent the time with him. You have to spend the time with them. It's one thing for them to come up to the altars and you lay your hands on them in a moment and expect things to change. Spend time with them. If you want to fill them with the spirit of wisdom, spend time with them. You have to spend the time. Verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials and to this whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. But Joshua wasn't called to be Moses. He was called to be Joshua, the one that would lead the next generation into God's promise. He was a fierce warrior for God who was confident and courageous. He held the respect of the people and they stayed faithful to God under his rule. That's a win to me. What will you do for this generation and to the generation coming up right now? Will people stay faithful to God's rule around you? Are you concerned about that? Are you concerned about learning a legacy? Do you want to learn one? And do you want to lead one? As believers, we need to develop a desire to mentor and encourage others. Why? Because if we don't do it, who will? There is strength in numbers, and we need all the help that we can possibly get to carry out God's promise. Howard Hendricks said it best. I want to prepare a person to become better than I am. I believe this should be our desire as well. We need to find people in whom we can instill and train up in the ways of the Lord, one-on-one, and leave them with a vision of God's best. Then when the time comes, we need to bless them and put them in our place better than we ever were. They're going to need to be better than we are to make sure that God's faithfulness goes from generation to generation. Bow your heads with me this morning. Here's the thing. It takes time, commitment, and intention to invest in the next generation. If we're going to change our world for God, we have to take the time. For those of you this morning, maybe God has been laying someone on your heart for a while now. You keep seeing this person or they keep popping up, seeing them in unexpected places. God keeps telling you to invest. Do it. Invest in him this morning. For any of you that this younger generation, maybe you feel lost this morning. Maybe the battle of life is too much of a struggle for you and you're just not sure if you're going to win. And you need someone this morning to just hold up the faithfulness of God over your life. Maybe there's problems in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe you can't see ahead 
and you just feel like you're stuck. If that is any of you this morning, raise your hand. There are people of God that they will pray for you this morning. They will hold up the faithfulness of God over you. Thank you. I see your hand. If there is any else, thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you for being bold enough. Is there any else? Thank you. I see your hand. You just need somebody to hold up the faithfulness of God over you. You need someone to bring you into his presence this morning. Hold up your hand this morning. Thank you. I see your hand. You don't want to sit outside the tent anymore. You don't want to just be near the presence of God. You want to be in the presence of God. If that's you this morning. If you raised your hand this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to come forward. I would imagine this to be like our tent of meeting up here. I'm going to ask you to come forward. When I begin to pray, if you would come forward. Saints of God, my Moses is out there. I'm going to ask some of you to come up here and I want you to pray for this generation. I want you to pray for them. I want you to hold God's faithfulness over them. I want you to put your hands on them and I want you to bless them. I want you to bring them into the presence of God this morning. When I begin to pray, would you please do that? Lord God, we come to you this morning. God, we surrender to you. Lord, we surrender to your presence today. Oh God, for those, Lord God, they've been fighting a battle, Lord, but there's nobody up on the hill for them. There's nobody up there that's holding up the faithfulness of God. There's nobody that's been steady in their life. Oh, God, I just pray right now, Lord, as these people begin to put their hands on them, as they begin to hold the faithfulness of God over them, I pray right now, Lord God, that they would see your goodness, God. I pray that you would deliver them today, Lord, the battle that they are fighting, Lord life or death. Maybe it's struggles in their marriage. Lord, we pray for restoration. If it's addiction this morning, we pray for deliverance. God, if it's depression this morning, anxiety, we pray for hope. We pray for joy. We pray for peace right now in the name of Jesus. For those, Lord God, that have been waiting on the sidelines, they've been waiting, Lord, but they want to experience it for themselves. I pray that they dive in today, God. I pray that your presence surrounds them, Lord God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, you are here, God. Your presence is here. Your spirit is moving. It's changing lives, Lord. It's transforming us, oh God, from the inside out. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. For those of you, if you're still sitting in your seats, just reach your hand forward. Pray, pray for those. Pray that they are experiencing the presence of God. Pray that God is delivering them. Pray that God is giving them hope for the days to come. Oh, Lord, help them to know, God, that you see them, you know them, you love them. Lord, you have a calling on their life, Lord. There's purpose, Lord God, in their life, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message. 
If you are blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.